Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good afternoon. Welcome to the latest edition of the Manchester is Red podcast. A day before the Leicester City game, United finally returning to action. After a long, long wait without a game, it seems. I'm Tyrone Marshall in the hosting chair for today with the absence of Rich Fay and Stephen Railston. Uh, so it's just me and I'm joined by Samuel Lockhurst, thankfully here to steer the ship and offer us his insights on United. You can tell he's been to Carrington today with his very smart grey suit, which for those of you <laughs> who, who might see any clips from this, we'll, uh, we'll see. It's putting my uh, my pastel jumper into, um, into embarrassment here. But Samuel, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm not bad, thank you. It, it even got a mention from Karen, the United Press Officer at Carrington today. So ho- hopefully MUT haven't clipped that bit out because it's probably just about the nicest thing she's she's ever said to me. But no, in, in all in all fairness, um, it was it was it was fine. But so, somebody has to, to to bring some style to Carrington. Uh, I'm just going off <laughs> Neil Neil Custis's heyday. He always used to wear a suit when it was uh, when it was Fergie's era. Oh, that's fantastic. That's what we like to see. So yeah, we're back on the last day of the um, international window and typically today is when all the news happens, having gone two weeks looking for uh, for anything to, to fill the paper and fill our line. Um, plenty to talk about. I mean, I guess we'll start with the, the breaking news this morning that has been widely reported for the last two weeks in Bruno Fernandes' contract extension. Um, I mean, it's either a significant day for United or a one-year extension with a very tidy pay rise, depending on your view. I guess. Um, I mean, where, where would you fall in that, Sammy? That's obviously great. He signed an extension, but there's never really been any talk of him leaving. He, he did have another three years no. left to go anyway. I mean, it's just a well-deserved pay rise, isn't it? That's what it is. That's what United are effectively celebrating. It's, you know, they're, they're bound to have their cake and eat it with with these announcements and particularly with a player as, as important and, and as totemic as, as Fernandez. And he, he's been the, the best signing since, since Van Persie in 2012. He certainly had the biggest impact since Van Persie in, in that first season in Ferguson, which was obviously Ferguson's final season. But I, I did wonder why why United were rushing to you know, sort out a new deal for Fernandez that has only increased his his contract by by a year. Um, as you said, the, the only purpose for this new deal has been a steep pay rise, now in excess of two hundred grand. The, the timing of it is is peculiar. Um, United have this tendency with with contracts to you know, leave us scratching our heads, wondering why they've done that at this point. Fernandez is, is by far and away, you know, I mean, he's certainly one of the more deserving players to get a new contract. But really, I, you know, I know it's we can always take a glass half empty view with United, but. His his performance level this season has has not been good. Um, he's he's had the numbers, and those numbers always very handy for advisors when it comes to contract negotiations. And you've got this dreadful phrase now called goals goal contributions. And I think Fernandez will have had twenty one this season or twenty two this season, which sounds really really impressive. But when you look at the shades of grey of United season and his season individually. 
Um, it, it's it's not been a good season for him. He's he's had an okay season just because of his impacts in moments, but he wasn't one of those players that was in danger of leaving. As I said, his his, his previous contract effectively tied him to the club until 2026. It's been increased by only a year. Uh, it's it's a massive pay rise, but I would have thought that someone at United would have actually just told his advisors, you know, try and tell your client to actually perform on a regular basis and not give the ball away as much and help us win trophies, then we can get down to discussing a new contract. But United have, have yielded to far weaker players and, and far you know less important players in the, in the recent past. You know, we, we still go on about the Eric Bailly contract last year and how ridiculous that was when they should have just should have sold him in the summer. Fernandez was never going to go anywhere. It, it doesn't change a great deal in the grand scheme of things, but it, it really wasn't something that they needed to address. And as, as you said earlier today to me, they've they've rewarded him at the time where his form has not been has not been particularly good at all in the last six or seven months. Yeah, I mean, you'd hope it'd certainly be be bouncing into this weekend, given his contribution for Portugal in in midweek. The fact is. Bank balance is about to get a, a pretty tidy boost. Um, maybe that'll sort of give him a, a kick up the backside, maybe to go on and, and perform over these final months because he's like so over the grand over the what's he been at United now two two and a bit years nearly um, yeah two, two two years three months two years, is it three months like yeah that, I mean he, he he certainly deserves that that pay rise and that that status as as one of the key players there and thought in the announcement John Murta's quotes were. Um, as interesting as quotes get in these mm. these press releases announcing new contracts about his attitude and character, it, it kind of feels like that's you know challenging that challenging that and channel, channeling that in the right way is is a big thing for Fernandez. We see him get frustrated with teammates, frustrated with referees at times, and, and it can kind of drag him down. But you know, it, it felt like a real sort of endorsement of his his leadership there. Um, opportunity to read a bit into that, I guess, with the possibility of the armband being up this summer with with the new manager coming in. Yeah. Um, but whichever way it goes, it feels like he's clearly going to be a big part of the new manager's plans. And United want him to be a big part of those plans and a big leader in the dressing room. Absolutely. And it was one of those renewals that they could you know, sort out without needing to know who the next manager is, because whoever the coach that comes in, they they will relish coaching Fernandez. Yeah. He's He's got the right mentality. He's got the right attitude. Okay, there are times on the pitch where he, he he does whinge a lot, and sometimes you want one of his teammates to to whinge back at him. But that's maybe more. That's not maybe. It's certainly more of an issue with the other players who don't have the gall to actually you know tell him to pipe down or put him put him in his place at all. And as you said, with the captaincy, um, I think he's probably the the ideal guy to take that on next season. That you know he's going to be there long term. He has performed um, very, very well during his time at United, even though his performance level has not been great. Not just this season, but I think there were large parts of last season where it was certainly questionable. But again, he had the numbers. And if you're if you're coming up with key moments in, in key games, and he, he certainly has done that on a number of times this season, then you're worthy of, of inclusion in the team. And, and he is one of the few players who, as far as tomorrow's game is concerned, you you know he's absolutely going to start. You you wouldn't you'd never bet against it. And with Ronaldo's age and the uncertainty as to whether he will actually be there next season, I think Fernandez is probably the ideal choice for it. He he does chip away at referees. He does have a go at teammates. He he does need to 
modify those leadership characteristics that he's he's displayed at United. But I think he'd be a worthy recipient of the armband next season. He he needs to take his game to a new level. He needs to take United up quite a few levels as well. And that that must be a great challenge for him if you were to put that in front of him. You'd like to think that they've discussed that during the uh, the, the talks they had over a new contract. I think he half joked last year that um, he has to wait another year to take the number eight shirt off off Juan Mata. But I can imagine he'd probably get that squad number ahead for next season as well, which is is, is one of those numbers on the continent that's that's quite coveted by yeah. by players of a, of a certain persuasion. So there are a lot of things that um, are working in his favour. And as you said, the, the two goals in midweek, hopefully for, from United's perspective, he can you know, transmit that form to, to club form against Leicester. But certainly, I think as far as next season is concerned, you know, we, we will get on to Maguire at some point soon. But I, I've, I've said before, I don't think Maguire should be United captain next season. And I think Fernandes is probably the, the most logical choice to take over. Mm. And. You know, like we said, Fernandes is going to be a big part of the new manager's plans. We just don't know who the new manager is going to be at the moment. But it's it's starting to feel a bit like that German game a few years ago where all the fans gathered behind the goal with the arrows pointing to the goal. <laughs> so the, the, the goal's right players knew where, knew where to shoot. Only Ten Hag is, is that person that yeah. all the arrows are pointing to at, at the moment. Um, interviewed, of course, over the international break. And, and he's done an interview today where he kind of balances, fluttering his eyelashes again at United while being respectful to Ajax and... They've obviously got an awful lot of play, lots of play for us, so trying to keep the players focused. But, you know, reading that interview, it certainly felt like he clearly wanted the United job and, and was almost laying the groundwork for a departure from Ajax this year. I mean, it seems as simple now that if United wants him, he wants United. The only question now is, do United want him and, and are they settled on him, seems to be. I think about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, You'd have probably had Pochettino still as the favourite, but there has been a shift in the last three weeks, even before the interview took place. Um, I think it was just over two weeks ago I did the story that he was that Ten Hag was the preferred candidate, preferred uh, choice. Then a few days later, it was the interview. He was clearly the first person to be interviewed uh, for for the role of next next permanent manager. I think that's kind of telling in itself. There've been some people out there trying to. Um, amazingly, people who actually work in the media but are trying to downplay stories that you know identify Ten Hag as as the prime candidate, and some of these stories almost read like press releases. It's it's quite bizarre, but I've I've thought for probably the best part of three weeks now that it's it's his if he wants it. Um, it it does make a lot of sense. It certainly would be the popular pick uh, if if United were to go for Ten Hag. You shouldn't. You certainly shouldn't be doing a managerial process on what the fans want, and, and United won't be doing that. It will be a thorough process. They will be discussing a number of things at length before they settle on the suitable candidate. But since that disaster in the Bernabeu for Pochettino and PSG, it just seems to have unravelled for him. Mm-hmm. And there, there's clearly been a shift, even though Ten Hag has suffered his own pretty embarrassing Champions League exit, and you can't just whitewash his record in the competition, Ajax's record in the competition since they got to the semi-finals in 2019. It's It's been dire. They've gone out of the group stage twice and Benfica were one of the weakest teams left in the last 16 and Ajax were fully expected to qualify for the quarterfinals and they lost at home to them in that, in that second leg. So wh- whoever the candidates are, whoever is going to take over at United next season, th- there are pros and cons 
people have their opinion on Ten Hag. Um, I think from the United board's perspective, he is. it's easy to see why United, the United board do want him. I think he would be a more compliant choice than Pochettino. Pochettino has had some outbursts in the past, mainly at Tottenham, which have been somewhat reminiscent of, of Jose Mourinho. And you know the, the reason why United, one of the reasons why United didn't fancy Antonio Conte, is that although he really doesn't like Jose Mourinho and they rub up against each other like sandpaper, he has a propensity for similar outbursts, whereby he will not think twice about throwing the board under the bus, mm. and that is going to scare a board that is has not changed a great deal. Even though Ed Woodward is is no longer the executive vice chairman, Richard Arnold has replaced him. Obviously, they have a relationship dating back to when they went to Bristol University in the early nineties. Matt Judge is still the director of football negotiations. John Murtagh is the football director and who joined United when when David Moyes was there in I think late twenty thirteen, early twenty fourteen. So the, the makeup of the hierarchy is not very different and of course the owners are still the Glazer family as well and they will you know I think they would much rather have a, a coach who is certainly not familiar with working is, is sorry I should say is familiar at working under a budget and there there is certainly merit in United operating in a different way in the transfer market this year that's more aligned with how have how Ajax have operated you know cherry picking players who have the right profile, but they're of a certain age and they're not going to cost cost a bomb um, because United can't go down the route of 2019 when they're bound to be, or they might be in a similar situation in the summer. If there's no Europa League football, it's a manager going into his first summer. Um, they might finish sixth as well as they did in, in that year. Mm-hmm. They can't operate in the same way because it just wasn't successful with the three players they did sign that summer, even though those three players did have successful periods at one point or another. But given where the club might be come the summer, maybe Ten Hag does have the edge on Pochettino in that sense. But you still worry whether he has the actual character to manage a pretty, at the the moment, it's a pretty toxic dressing room. Um, A lot of unhappy players, a lot of ones-aways in that dressing room. Some will obviously be going, which I don't think is a bad thing at all. I think it's good that United will be clearing the decks and they can held in a new era with a new manager coming in but there'll be there will still be some egos in there that will look at Ten Hag and think well why should I listen to a guy who's you know, assembled two good teams with a bunch of Premier League rejects which is which is what he has done Tadic, Haller, um, Stephen Bergwis had a very undistinguished time at, yeah. at Watford. Daley Blind was a decent United player but he, he went back to Ajax when you thought you know, he's, he's he's a bit he's better than Ajax. He could have done a lot. He could have gone to a bigger club than them in 2018, but he wanted the tranquility of of the Eredivisie. So it's it's a it'd be a huge task for it's going to be a huge task for whoever goes in there. But I, I just think that aspect of it, the, the the thing of coming from Holland, is such a big leap. Just look at the players United have signed from there in recent years: Depay and Van der Beek, two duds. I know that they are their players and Ten Hag's a coach. But to go from managing Ajax to managing United, it's like going from a, a speedboat to a cruise liner. Mm. And th- people will have doubts about that. But I suppose what one of the positives would be you'd expect him to bring a, bring an identity to United and for them to play good football. Which And sometimes that that's a way of getting the club back on the right track and, and progressing gradually. And, and if United are doing that, then there will be an element of patience among the supporters. But... It's it's a hell of a job to take over. 
Yeah, it certainly is. And I think we've said before that it's never felt like there's been a real standout candidate here. I think Tenag is probably the popular and the hipster choice, but there is there is doubts to him and Pochettino, isn't there? And I guess if United, it's, you're normally yeah. weighing up the strengths of a manager here. You're almost weighing up the doubts around them as well. And yeah. which are the more concerning doubts? And I guess at least, you know, Ten Hag, the way United are trying to move forward with, with their structure, Ten Hag fits into that, I guess, from Holland and work quite closely with a now disgraced sporting director over there. United currently have a manager still who was speaking for the first time in, in two and a half weeks today in Ralph Ranick, you were there at Carrington and I think there was only one question that was ever really, you know, people only really wanted answering today and that was, did, did he have a good time from Barbados? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that did get brought up in the in the embargoed section, unsurprisingly. Yeah. Uh, but as far as the opening section uh, was concerned, there was no mention of, of his presence at the Test match. Uh, I, I don't think many people really should... No. Any sensible person would have an issue with that. Uh, they had a what was it an eight an eighteen day gap between games. It would have been unusual if Rangnick and and the players just just stayed in Manchester, going into Carrington every day. I don't think even you know, I you, you can weigh up the, the sympathy for footballers and, and the mental side. But going into Carrington, you know, most days when th- there aren't going to be many players to even train really just yeah. doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense and it doesn't have you in the right mindset going into this Leicester game either so um I mean I'd have, I'd have loved to have been in the Barbados watching the test despite Absolutely. the cricket that was on on display as well <laughs> the run would have been good at least would have, um, yeah yeah I mean, I mean Harry Maguire I guess was always going to be a, a big talking point in the open section of the press conference um I didn't feel like Randix sort of comments were particularly inspiring around him. I mean, it felt like Gareth Southgate was more passionate about it than, than Ranić, but I guess he said the right things. And we know that it, it it's always going to strengthen Maguire's position at Old Trafford amongst the fan base, isn't it? That he's been booed by England fans who, yeah. you know, United have got no time for anyway. He's playing Leicester this weekend, who have hammered him ever since he made the move to United. Um, I guess it almost plays into his court this weekend that he's obviously going to get a good reception from from Old Trafford, isn't he? But it's what it, it's what he does on the pitch that is, is going to count between now and the end of the season and probably more specifically next season. Yeah, and, you know, you, you could say someone should have written a piece about that, but you you did that this week and it was it was exactly right in that United fans have absolutely no time for England or, or England fans. And if, if there's an opportunity to distance themselves even more from them, they will they will take it. And, and Maguire probably will get a good ovation. Um before and during the game, they need to support him because it's it's a big game for United as well. United really need to win as many games as possible, really, if they're to have a chance of qualifying for the Champions League. And they're not going to turn on him now that England fans have turned on him. They they did turn on him, of course. Well, some of them did in uh, during the Atletico game when when he was substituted. There's some I've seen have tried to rewrite history and said, oh, it was a minority, but we were there and it was a sizable section of the crowd. It wasn't like it was muted at all. It was very, very noticeable. Um, People on TV wouldn't have struggled to hear it. I don't imagine many people would have been rewinding or turning their volume up just to double check that Harry Maguire had been sarcastically jeered off. It was very clear that he had been. But I, I suspect he will get a good reception from United fans. And it, it was embarrassing what England fans did. To be honest, England fans, a lot of them for a long, long time, 
are an embarrassment. It's just ingrained in them, whether it's you know what they're doing outside the stadium, as we saw, unfortunately, on the day of the Euros final, or some of the even some of the chants they come up with. I mean, again, yeah. I know it's not popular for a journalist to slag off match going football fans. Um but you know, even the atomic kitten chant that they have for Southgate, I, I absolutely cringe at. But this is what you get with with England fans, and maybe I've been uh, spoilt by United fans' songbook over the years, and how witty and acerbic that can be. But it, it just didn't make any sense what happened in midweek. I'd have I'd have loved someone to have done a vox pop outside, and had they encountered someone who had him had booed Harry Maguire. And then ask them why, what what yeah. the rationale would have been, because it was just utterly illogical, particularly because he reserves his best his best form for for England. I think that's been one of the issues with United fans, in that although he's had the odd good game for United, I don't think he's ever reached the heights that he has for England, where in the summer certainly he was the best tournament at the European Championship. And I don't think he put a foot wrong whatsoever. Yeah. And I'm sure if you'd have stopped most of those who were booing, they'd probably most of them would have said they actively hate United anyway. Yeah. And <laughs> the madness of booing a player who's having a terrible season for a club you hate. It's um very, very little about it made made much sense. But he he has kind of become a, a big narrative over the last the last few weeks. Um the other big narrative in Randy's press conference, I guess, was was Paul Pogba. I don't know about you, but those international breaks next year, I'm really gonna miss translating sports <laughs> pages of Lekeep and watching telefoot videos. Uh, you can set your watch by it now in international breaks and some Pogba controversy. I mean, I guess he didn't say anything too outrageous this time. His, his, no. What we imagine is going to be his, his final international break with United. Um, I mean, what what did Ranyit say about it? And I guess it's just a bit of a non-issue now, isn't it? We all we all know yeah. where this is going, don't we? Yeah. The, the dilemma I have or had today in doing those lines was that the, the the main line that would have been first on a lot of the national newspapers would have been Maguire because it's it's national news. He played for England, um, you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But as we know from our Manchester Evening News United centric audience, there are a lot of people. Sorry, the majority of people who the last person on earth that they actually want to read about is is Harry Maguire. I'm, I'm not I'm not kicking him while he's down there at all. But unfortunately with with the online contingent they the majority of them seem to actively dislike him it, again it's this very very inexplicable trend of a certain section of online fans not liking english players playing for an english football club it's it's something i can never get my i'll never be able to get my head around uh we we saw it last season when dean henderson was um, pushing David De Gea for the goalkeeping place, and eventually he was number one for a brief period. Um, I mean, Marcus Rashford is again is is not popular with United online fans. It seems mm. uh, he's another England international. So it's it's strange how it works. But today, although the Maguire copy was better, I had to prioritise Pogba because. It was probably more interesting to to people, uh, to readers, uh, to United fans, um, given that his his quotes in France were you know were stand out. They they were made back page news over here. One splash went down very very badly. I noticed with um, with, with with fans as well online. Uh, I, I can understand that, but yeah, I, th- I think although Pogba was is obviously very disillusioned about what's happening at United and. His, his comments about his role were interesting in that 
it can't just be the club to blame. I mean, he has to take accountability himself. Yeah. The amount of times, you know, he'll he'll play in a midfield two, and it's like you can't play him there. He's got to be on the left of the midfield three. Then he plays there, and he doesn't play well enough. Does he play off the left? You know, we've we've been going around in circles, and ultimately he's going to end his United career, and people are still going to be wondering what was his best role? Did he have a best role? And he he's he's entitled to question it, but Rangnick just gave quite a considered response on it. And he did say that he was, it, it was almost as if Rangnick wasn't, hadn't read what Pogba had said. Some managers will be all over the stuff. They won't even need a director of communications. They will just be consuming news and they'll be on Twitter under some, you know, some hidden account um, trying to take it all in. But it seemed like Rangnick was informed and briefed of what Pogba said. So therefore it gave him time to actually, you know, finesse and draft up a response that just really took any sting out of it whatsoever. He he just said that they've had a couple of injuries up front. So people have, players have had to adapt. They've had to change positions. Pogba has been one of them. He's, he said previously that Pogba can play as a six or an eight. He's used him as a 10 as well um, in, in the derby last month. And he's he's utilised that flexibility. And to be honest, Pogba hasn't played particularly badly uh, since he came back. I think there was certainly a spell where he's playing quite well. He's, he's tailed off over the last month, maybe since the derby. Uh, he was, I thought he was pretty good in the first half, but then the second half went all right, for not just for him, but for the whole United side. And th- there is a danger that his season could, could peter out. But that that applies to United as well, and his fortunes have certainly um, mirrored United over these last five and a half years or so. Yeah, and he might find his his best role tomorrow is is on the bench. Um, bench. I think that the three of us who do our United panel preview for for a Saturday morning, and the Kenny of us have picked him to to start in midfield or in the front no. three. Um, which is probably not surprising at the moment. But looking ahead to that game, finally the football is back. Um, we might regret saying that by half seven tomorrow night, but this is absolutely must win for United, isn't it? They've got three what should be winnable games now, I guess. Leicester, Everton and Norwich before that doubleheader against Liverpool and Arsenal. I mean, it feels to me like they're to have, if they're to have any chance of top four, they've got to win three out of three, which probably feels beyond them at the moment. But I mean, it would be a disaster to, to start off with losing this one. It would feel like that's season over by, by April the 2nd if they lose on Saturday. So it really is, you know, in the grand scheme of things at the start of the season, it, it shouldn't be a big game. But but for those reasons, it really is, isn't it? Yeah, the three in a row statistic was was mentioned just as we were preparing really for Rangnick to come in today and that although they have won three Premier League games on the spin, I think in September... August, September, we, we had, was it Wolves, Newcastle and West Ham? And then, funnily enough, after Solskjaer was sacked in, in Carrick's last game as caretaker and Rangnick's first two games as interim against Arsenal, Palace and Norwich, they've not won three games on the spin um, over all competitions at all this season. Um, it's They've just not had a three-game winning run whatsoever, which is dreadful, <laughs> however way you look at it. Um, even even that period uh, when when Rangnick took over, it was interrupted by the young boys' dead rubber, so they couldn't even have have that three game winning run either. Uh, so it's, I mean, it just reflects appallingly on them. And you, you you even hesitate to say that you know, you can see them winning at Everton, and Everton have been an absolute basket case of a club all season. It's been 
a shambles almost from start to finish. Yet even they took a point off United at Old Trafford. And really, if Tom Davis had decided to hit that shot rather than trying to tee up, I can't remember it might have, who it might have been. Rush, was it Charles? No, sorry, it might have been Yerry Mina. If he'd gone for goal, then Everton might have even won that game. Yeah, and Everton have been. It's been one of the worst Everton sides possibly since the early Moyes years. Where the, the team that Moyes maybe even inherited, where that they were always relegation fodder. They were always just about staying up. Um, certainly that was the position they were in when Moyes took over from, from Walter Smith in 2002. And so although Leicester have, have also had a, you know, they've had a real come down this season from previous seasons where they should have really been finishing in the top four last season and the season before that, they are starting to find a bit of form. They are gaining a bit of momentum with Europa Conference League, players who had have had lean spells seem to be getting their groove back. James Madison, it's, it's, it's frustrating that he can't do it over con- a consistent period because he's a great interviewee. I think he's got a really good personality about him. Mm. And when he turns it on, he's a brilliant footballer to watch as well. He probably shouldn't be playing for Leicester still. But he scored a phenomenal free kick the other week. Um, he could turn it on. When, when you look at the Leicester team, when everyone is fit, and that's been the problem this season, they've had a lot of bad injuries that, that have clearly affected them. But it's it's still quite a quite a formidable side, and it's not a team that you really want to be coming up against, certainly in a run-in. And although they've not got a lot to play for as far as the league is concerned, and really it's all on the Europa Conference League, I suppose, which is... You know, it's rather amusing given that Brendan Rodgers' take on the tournament as soon as they went out of the Europa League was that he, he didn't know anything about it. Um, they, they could still salvage their season by by winning a European trophy, which, you know, would it's it's too late for Rodgers to be considered for the United manager now as well, but it wasn't too long ago that he he seemed to be the front-runner for that role, certainly in the reverse fixture, when which was probably Leicester's high point of the season. They were, they were excellent that day when they bulldozed United 4-2. United were dreadful, but there was a hell of a lot to like about Leicester and and a hell of a lot to like about how Rodgers has managed them over the last three years as well. But again, I I just, I I wish I could be more positive on United, but I don't have any faith that they will win these next three games. You can easily see them slipping up. I think Norwich is probably, you you could say that's, that's just about a gimme really, but even then United were very, very lucky to, to beat them in, in December. Norwich look dead and buried now, but, Again, United just haven't been. You've, you, you, United just haven't been consistent enough this season. And even games that they have won, there haven't been many games that they've actually won at a canter. It's always been a late goal or a last-minute goal, or they're defending a one-goal lead in the dying embers. Um, yeah, from our from our perspective, it's wonderful when they've got games boxed off with half an hour to play because it makes our lives easier. But it seems like that's happened a handful of times this yeah. season. And with this running now where the pressure is is cranking up on them to qualify for the Champions League, it would be a pretty remarkable departure from the norm for them to start winning games at a canter and winning just winning games in, in succession as well, I suppose. Yeah, there's been an awful lot of words left on the cutting room floor with United this season, hasn't <laughs> there? And it, I mean, it feels yes. like this would be an interesting um, sort of gauge of where they are tactically under Ranjit, given that, like I said, Rogers is is out of the running for the United job now, but has had United's number really. I think it's I think Leicester have won the last three yeah. against United now since yeah, that, they have. that yeah. final, the Old Trafford game and the game back in October. So 
an, an interesting gauge of where United are at. I'm the same as you. I just can't see them winning those three in a row. Mostly because I can't see them. I, I don't think they'll beat Leicester and Everton. It just feels like one of those is is going to is going to cost them. But for our own um, sanity going forward, hopefully they do manage to to drag this top four race out and and stay in it. And fingers crossed, we can bring some positivity and and buoyance to Monday's podcast. Um, but for now, we'll leave it there. Samuel, thanks for your contributions. Thank you, Ty. Appreciate it. Remember to give us a like, subscribe, tell all your friends how good we are, uh, all that usual stuff. Um, Stay tuned to the MEA website over the weekend for everything you need to know from that Leicester game. And we'll be back with you on Monday.